Good morning, Fitzroy. Good morning, everyone. I wish I could see all your faces, but for now I have to entrust myself to the wonderful people and the technology that can bring my face and voice to you, wherever you are. In worship, we gather with so many different life experiences, whether you're resting at home or if you've just received grades for exams you didn't sit, or you're facing unemployment or financial hardship, whether you're facing isolation due to COVID or travel restrictions or relationship breakdown, whoever you are, with whatever you bring to this time of worship, we come not to consume like Netflix, but to be together somehow. It'd be great to be able to sit together with you all and share each other's joys and sorrows. And maybe this time is an opportunity to learn how to do that better. If you get bored and you feel like flicking forward, why not resist? Sit for the hour without touching the computer. And when your concentration wanes, of course it won't. Note down the names of people you remember from church and pray for them. This is a sacred hour, not in the sense of magic, but set apart for us to deepen our love for each other. So let's pray. Giver of life, we want to resist all distractions, turn our heart and mind wholly towards you, to give ourselves to you alone. Help us to tune in to your spirit now in a focused way, so that later when we are busy and distracted, we can remember you more readily. We promise to trust you for the gift of time to sit and think about the one thing that's necessary. And so may your word of life speak to us. Draw us away from the keyboard, the screen, to a deeper reality, a deeper relationship. We offer ourselves this one hour of training in the discipline of being here together with you, listening with this community to the voice of our loving God and Father. Can you, will you speak, Lord? For your children are listening. Amen. So greetings from just outside the army barracks in Lisburn. I've got my dogs with me, so you may be treated to some of their delightful singing later, especially if next door gets a delivery. But for now, all seems peaceful. Let's take the opportunity for a call to worship from Psalm 133. How wonderful it is, how pleasant when brothers and sisters live in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the fragrant anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head and ran down onto his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew on Mount Hermon on the mountains of Israel. And God has pronounced this eternal blessing on Jerusalem, even life forevermore. Peace and beauty, unity flowing down. Like oil trickling down a beard, tickling Aaron's neck. Like silent dew seeping and flowing becoming streams and rivers flowing down to the sea. Several times this week I've been confronted with the, the story of Jesus walking on water and calming the storm. And maybe what starts as a trickle in the mountains becomes an even greater manifestation of peace as the calm comes not so much as due to dry stillness, but in the midst of a raging storm from the person of Jesus himself.
wellness in our soul makes it possible to be peacemakers, as Jesus himself makes peace. Psalm 133 is well known in peacemaking circles, but it's not often used as a call for worship. But listen, our brothers and sisters are made in God's image. They are our icons, our aids to worship. God is worshipped when we treat the people made in God's image with love and devotion that we owe rightfully to God. God in humility and grace receives as our worship to himself the love and respect and honour that we give to each other. Harmony or unity isn't a natural, neutral state of affairs. It's an active tuning in to each other's wavelengths, as our wonderful musicians know too well. We need to resonate in ways that allow our different voices and instruments to enrich and enhance each other. One of the things I miss most about attending church is singing together in the one room where we listen to each other and tune our voices to the whole group. Even if singing in harmony does come naturally to some people, living in harmony, attuning ourselves to each other, is not an easy thing to do. It's a skill learned with practice, correction, patience and more practice. And yet Psalm 133 says unity comes down as oil seeps down. It comes down as dew, as a blessing on God's people. Not like rain or with thunder and splashing. Unity comes silently seeping down, refreshing dry places. Our unity comes with the quietness of love flowing into all the tiny crevices of the soil to bring life to the land. The time for trendy peace-building programmes is past. What continues is the quiet, loving peace-building that arrives with God's blessing. Out of sight, giving life freshness. As we sing together, unable to hear each other, yet joining our hearts in faithfulness to each other. May we be like the Mount Hermon, condensing humidity to bring freshness and living water to all around us. This is the power that Jesus exercised when he went off alone to pray on the mountain. This quiet, unseen nourishment equips him to speak peace when the tempest rocks our boat. And so when he speaks, he speaks with authority because it comes from the depths of his soul. So for now, we have a skill to learn. Here, where nobody's listening, sing God's praise. Don't be afraid of your own voice. Don't just listen to the songs led by others today. Join in. Offer your body some refreshing oxygen and sing from the depths of your soul so that later when you speak peace, it will come from the depths of your soul. We can't hear each other singing, but we join with each other by faith. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree
gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 15, and it's a corker. I've chosen the Living Bible, which uses slightly shocking language. Hopefully that will help us to see what's going on. Let's listen with our hearts open to receive God's message. Then Jesus called to the crowds and said, Listen to what I say and try to understand. You aren't made holy by eating non-kosher food. It's what you say and think that makes you unclean. Then the disciples came and told him, You offended the Pharisees by that remark. Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my father shall be rooted up. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. Both will fall into the ditch. Then Peter asked Jesus to explain what he meant when he said that people are not defiled by non-kosher food. Don't you understand? Jesus asked him. Don't you see that anything you eat passes through the digestive tract and out again? But evil words come from an evil heart and defile the man who says them. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, lying and slander. These are what defile. But there's no spiritual defilement from eating without ritually washing your hands. Jesus then left that part of the country and walked 50 miles to Tyre and Sidon. A woman from Canaan who was living there came to him shouting, Have mercy on me, O Lord. King David's son, for my daughter has a demon within her and it torments her constantly. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to get going, they said, for she's bothering us with all her begging. Then he said to the woman, I was sent to help the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel, not the Gentiles. But she came and worshipped him and pled again, Sir, help me. He said, It doesn't seem right to take bread from the children and throw it to dogs. Yes, it is, she replied. For even the puppies beneath the table are permitted to eat the crumbs that fall. Woman, Jesus told her, Your faith is large and your request is granted. And her daughter was healed right then. We were just reading a psalm about brothers and sisters living in unity. But the gospel text we've read is all about conflict. Conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. Between purity and impurity. Between what goes into a person and what comes out. And then it goes on to tell us about this conflict between the Jews and the Canaanites and the Gentiles generally. Between us and them. We're in a time when hand washing is not just about personal hygiene. It's about social responsibility. And mask wearing is not just about stopping the impure from entering your body. But mainly about protecting others from what you breathe out. There's humility in recognising that we are virus vectors. There's humility too in recognising that our words and deeds can do great harm to others, even unintentionally. And so there is humility in choosing to set a guard on our mouths so that what comes out of them contributes life and not death to our community and to the world around us. Jesus has been saying, it's not the ritual purity of your food or the cleanliness of your hands that makes you right with God. It's what's in you as a person, what you think and say. If you have filth in you, you'll speak filth. If you have hatred in you, you will speak hatred. But if you have love, you will say and do love. 
And having spoken these highly offensive words, which, as the disciples pointed out, uh, seemed to undermine the whole Jewish system of purity, Jesus leaves the area and goes to Tyre and Sidon. And then the story we get from there is of this Canaanite woman, not a Jew, who comes to him shouting, yes, shouting to Jesus, calling him the son of David and asking him to heal her daughter of an evil spirit. So does Jesus speak kind words to her? Does he encourage her and send her on her way? Well, no. This is one of those really uncomfortable texts which shows us just how fully human Jesus was. His initial reaction is to ignore her because she's not a Jew. That's the explanation he gives. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, you're not my responsibility. God only wants me to take care of my people. You can make excuses for Jesus all you must. You can say that he came to this region specifically for this encounter. Matthew certainly doesn't tell us of anything else that happened there. So maybe this was why Jesus came. So you can argue that Jesus spoke this deliberately hurtful word to teach something important to his disciples or to the woman. Perhaps because he wanted to highlight the wrongness of this sectarian thinking. It may be that Jesus used these harsh words to mirror what was going on in the disciples' heads and to bring out what was inside. But you have to admit, what he says is pretty harsh. It's not right to take the children's food and give it to the dogs. Does that sound kind? What does it mean for Jesus to speak such words? Sometimes God also says and does things which seem harsh to us. They are harsh. Perhaps what we need to do is look not only at the words but at their intention and at their effect. It is possible that Jesus' words were designed to engage both the disciples and the women, woman in a learning conversation. So it could have gone badly wrong if the woman hadn't been such a courageous character. Maybe Jesus had as much faith in her as she had in him. Now, if you're like me, it's hard to accept being brought up with an idea of Jesus as perfect and sinless and having a fixed idea of what sin means. But if you're ready to adjust your idea of what it means to be fully human as well as fully God. Perhaps you can bear to hear this story. I love dogs, but to call someone a dog is highly insulting in any culture. And Jesus wasn't even talking to her, just about her and within her hearing. How demeaning. But maybe this is the key. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he allows the woman to break in, to interrupt and to change the narrative. Maybe this encounter with her confronts him and his disciples with the very truth that he's been talking about back home. Maybe she is a Gentile. Maybe she isn't part of God's chosen separate pure people and yet she knows something of God that is more profound something that belongs to her human nature made in God's image the kindness and faithfulness of God God's compassion for the little ones for the little dogs under the table and so she contradicts Jesus yes it is good to let the dogs have something off the master's table She shifts the emphasis of the conversation from identity politics. I'm X and you're Y and therefore I can't give you what you're asking for 
and you have no right to ask for it. She shifts from identity politics to relational compassion. And the result is healing, not only of the daughter, but also the seeds of healing of the relationship between Jew and Gentile. She is a mother. I like to think she's a dog lover. That she can't help but smile as the little dog snaffles the scraps that fall off the children's table. And I bet she has seen the children smuggle food off the table to give to the dogs. There's mercy in letting the little dog have a scrap of food. There's compassion. A slight breaking of the rules for the love of a fellow creature. And here's the conversion story. Jesus transforms his attitude to the woman and her daughter in the sight of his disciples. He has moved from checking whether she's one of us to something more powerful, something which releases healing instead of building barriers. What barriers do we erect between ourselves and others? Are you saved? Are you pro or anti-Brexit? Are you conservative or left-wing? Are you theologically in agreement with me? Or are you wrong? Jesus allows this Canaanite woman to change the way he, or at least his disciples, relate to others. And here's how she does it. Suddenly the woman that Jesus has implicitly called a dog, she interrupts. She doesn't leave the insult unnoticed or unchallenged. She offers the other cheek. Notice how she interrupts. She owns the element of truth that is in the insult. There's often an element of truth in the insult. She owns it. Instead of setting herself up as better than Jesus, she sees how the Jews might have reason to look down on her. And so she identifies herself not as a wild, dangerous street dog, but she uses the word for little dogs. She identifies her then, herself then as a dog, but as a little dog. Big dogs can be scary and dangerous. So she challenges the narrative of power and fear and places herself as a little dog in need of compassion, begging for food from his table. This is a great example of turning the other cheek. She places herself face to face with Jesus and she offers him another opportunity to treat her with compassion rather than brutal disregard. Her courageous perseverance and disarming humility win him over. And so the story unfolds for us as Jesus' disciples. We start out thinking that the right thing is to keep boundaries fixed, to ensure that no one mistakes us for them or their ways for ours. We start out thinking that we shouldn't waste an ounce of goodness on people that God hasn't chosen. If you haven't heard any of these ideas, I have, all within our wonderful Ulster Presbyterianism. We start out wanting to make sure that the lost know that they're lost and that they're going to hell. But here's another image of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. Thanks to her courage to challenge that narrative, we can move from us and them to having good news to share with the whole world. Do we dare to believe that if something is truly good, it is good for everyone? And no one is not good enough to receive it. Let us dare to believe that if humans can be compassionate to little dogs, then surely God can be compassionate to us. All of us. Jesus gets it. This woman has faith. She knows the faithfulness of God. And as she has expressed it, her daughter is healed. And Jesus goes straight from that encounter to Galilee and feeds 4,000 men plus women and children 
with the seven loaves they have to share. Crumbs. Lots of crumbs. Maybe our crumbs are more powerful than our five-year plans, our carefully calculated pensions and mortgages and salaries. Maybe as we discover the value of all we have received in Christ, we will share it abundantly, scatter crumbs willy-nilly and leave the niceties of us and them, who's in and who's out, to the final judgment. This time of pandemic is an opportunity for us, torn away from our comfy churches, to realise that we have good news, life-giving news for people of all sorts. Jew, Gentile, black, white, male, female and everywhere and everyone in between. We church can learn the humility of Jesus to hear from an outsider, a Canaanite, a woman and the mother of a demon-possessed child, possibly one with severe health problems. It is indeed good to share our blessings, the crumbs of the blessings we have received. If and when God grants us to open our doors again, may we have courage and even pride to swing them wide that all may enter, not on the basis of outward cleanliness, but with kindness and truth flowing from within. Friends, there are opportunists in the world who seek their own gain to everyone else's detriment. The gospel of Christ proclaims that we are saved by following one who gave his life for all and we can bring that good news to those who are being told to make themselves rich by ditching every other principle. It's a basic habit of social mammals to behave in tribal ways, to support their own group for fear of the other. But the Canaanite woman showed Jesus that he didn't have to stop being good news for the lost sheep of Israel. His faithfulness to God was changed from binary us and them to inclusive generosity and kindness. Then the Apostle Paul, trying to serve God, persecuted followers of the way, but he too came to see that Jesus identified with those he was persecuting. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in Acts 10, we're told that Peter told God no, three times when God said to eat unclean food in a vision. And so when the Gentile visitors came for Peter, he'd finally understood that it's not the labels on people that make them clean or unclean. It's their orientation towards God, God's kindness and compassion. What the Canaanite woman had started and Peter had witnessed, he still took some time to integrate into his thinking. These changes do take time to work through like yeast working through the whole dough. But eventually, inclusion of unclean outsiders, the Gentiles, became a huge issue for the early church. And it was resolved by agreeing to fully own both Jew and Gentile, and not by forcing the Gentiles to be circumcised into Judaism. We've got work to do to become fully inclusive. We have to get used to each other's strange ways and funny smells. There's no shortage of things to be learning. But how sweet, fragrant and life-giving the church will be when we embrace each other's difference and play different notes and different instruments, listening to each other, enhancing each other so that heaven's living water may condense in our lives. Maybe not quite the way water drips out of a wind instrument, more like dew condenses on leaves and flows out to join into streams and rivers to bless all kinds of people around us. So don't be fooled by those who, um, for fear of impurity or uncleanness, seek to divide us from each other. Able-bodied or physically challenged, we are united to God in Christ. Healthy or unhealthy, we are united in Christ. COVID-19 infected or not, we are united to God in Christ. Mask wearer or not, we are united to God in Christ. Working or furloughed, 
employed or unemployed, rich or poor, we are united to God in Christ. And if we are united to God in Christ, then we are one with each other. And all our life choices from environment to theology must bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And we don't have the right to separate ourselves from each other on any other basis. So enjoy working out what that looks like in your life, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace or school, your home, your clubs, on your Facebook page, your Twitter feed, Instagram, in the way you deal with each other. I'll give you a clue. There's more than one right way to be faithful to God. And Jesus is the way that brings us all together. So let's pray. Loving God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his harsh words to that nameless Canaanite woman and for her courage to contradict him, to affirm the priority of compassion over identity. Thank you for his courage to change his attitude, to hear the woman, to learn from her and so give healing to both her and her child and community. And so give us ears to hear when others speak about us and not to us. Give us courage to contradict them when they treat us as other. Give us humility to turn the other cheek. Changing the context from enmity to family. And so let us receive from those who have till now been withholding their blessing. The healing power which transforms not only our personal lives but the history of humanity. You're the God of this city. of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on the solid ground the Lord is my
From the confines of a prison, the Apostle Paul wrote these encouraging words to the small church at Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In our present intercession today, we shall focus our thoughts on two specific areas. Firstly, in what has been a turbulent and uncertain time for young people, some getting exam results that will determine their future, and some anxious about returning to school, we shall pray for the younger members of our congregation. We shall also pray for family or friends who have lost a loved one in the past few weeks. I can think of Ross Sterling, whose brother Johnny died peacefully several weeks ago after a long battle with cancer. And our thoughts go out to Brenda Watson and her family after the recent death of her husband, Leslie. You may be aware of others who are also grieving. We may not be able in the present circumstances to put our arms physically around those who have lost someone close to them. But let's pray that God will put his arms of comfort around them. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the family that is Fitzroy, for the rich diversity of its members, for the wide age range that it encompasses, and for the many different personalities that enrich and support it as a Christian community. We want to pray for all the young people associated with our congregation and for those known to us in other ways. We thank you for their vitality and potential. We pray that as we seek to nurture them in the Christian faith, that they will have a deep and personal faith in Jesus Christ. We pray especially today for those who are at a point of transition in their lives. We think of those moving from one stage of education to another, from primary to post-primary, from post-primary to college or university. We think of those moving from education into full-time work for the first time. For some, the coming weeks will involve leaving home. We pray that your love will surround each family and each individual at this time of change. Help us as a congregation to be sensitive to the challenges that our young people face and to support them with our interest and prayers. Please protect them and guard their footsteps so that they may not stray as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, we bring our young people to you. Loving Father, our thoughts turn to those who have said goodbye to a loved one in the recent weeks. We think of the sorrow of parting and the sense of loss that brings such deep pain. Even, Lord, when we know that they are safe in your keeping, their absence is still difficult to handle. We pray that you will place your arms of love around those who are grieving today. Give them an inner peace. Comfort them with the knowledge that we have a Saviour who has overcome death and who promises resurrection life to all who trust him. Lord, in the week to come, give us sensitivity to the needs of other people. Give us compassion to reach out with help to others. Give us patience when we are tested by the actions of other people. Open our eyes to see how we can enrich their lives. Fill us with gratitude for the kindness of friends and neighbours. And help us reflect the life of Jesus in all that we do and say. These things we pray in the name of our Lord and Saviour. Amen.
Thanks to Roberta and to all the team who have coordinated the music and the production of this service and to my husband Alan for recording it and to my dogs for their very quiet contribution. Thanks to you for watching and joining with us in our worship and all our thanks and praise to our gracious and loving God for every breath, every sparkle of joy, every good and perfect gift. In his name, I bless you. May the peace of Christ refresh you. The presence of Christ sustain you. The power of Christ equip you to be ambassadors of reconciliation between this world and God, between us and our fellow inhabitants, between the now and the not yet of eternal love, and justice. Amen. <laughs>